13 and a half milliseconds ago, Walt, there were seven guys looking for the theme. Believe it or not, all they could come up with was with, uh, smile a while. And the French Algerian national anthem. That's very good. All right, bring it up there. Oh man, am I live tonight? And now WOR takes great pleasure in presenting another public service program entitled Passion and You. Are you getting the most out of the world of ecstasy? Stay tuned. You know, I wish I could be more serious. I really do. You know, I'd get ahead, or I could be Chuck Huntley or... Brinkley Dootley, or whatever his name is, Walter Big Newton, with the earphone on the head there and saying, and now we take you to master control, where once again they're shooting off another whoop-dee-doo. I have a letter here. It says, uh... Dear Shepherd, hello, hello, testing. There we go. It says, Dear Shepherd, I'm uh, 13. You ready in there? Hey, watch me, Rello. It says, uh, Dear Shepherd, I'm 13, and I have pimples. Help me, Shepherd. Nah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. All right, we'll try to cast out the devils there. That's, you know what that is, kid? When you have those things euphemistically called skin eruptions. We had a little myth around my family that said that they evil thoughts. And evil thoughts popping out of your blood cause uh, those little thingies. <laughs> and so uh, we have a special casting out of the devils recording here for those of you who just stand close to the radio, turn it up, and turn your back slowly to the loudspeaker keeping the volume up, and if you have a treble and bass control, set it at medium, because you cut off too much of the bass, and it just doesn't work very good. Now, just bring it up there. There. Now, the next question, we took care of that kid's pimples. Now, uh, uh, you got anything else in there for me? Oh, yes, yes. Yes. Uh, oh, yes, indeed. Hey, hey, Mike, will you... I, uh, John Lindsay just lost my vote. Absolutely, completely, irrevocably. I'm sorry, Lindsay, you booted it again. John Lindsay has this idiotic sign. I mean, if this isn't a comment on politics today, oh, excellence. He has a sign hanging out over, over Sterns, you know, over there, 42nd Street, right in the middle of Showbizville. And it says, all it says, it's one of these neon signs that lights up, must have cost $18 million. And it says, John Lindsay is supercalifragilistic, expialidocious. Oh, 
John. Right out of Mary Poppins. Oh. I mean, and you know, Lindsay, you'd be the first guy to yell if there was a song called Paul Scrivain is Scrumptious. Paul Scrivain is Scrumptious. Paul Scrivain is... Yes, once again, Lindsay, you have lost the vote of the intelligent voter. Once again, you have gone just a little too far in the world of showbiz. And I'm sure that you're, if you ever get nominated, and if you ever finally carry the day, your acceptance of the oath speech will be written by Howard Lindsay, perhaps. Or maybe even... Maybe Neil Simon, one of the great thinkers of our day. Or maybe perhaps Murray Shishko. I'm playing this as a kind of requiem to our life. Oh, gee whiz, well. Right, that's enough. Watch me, Skip. What are you reading tonight? You quit the reading now. Come on now. You stay with me. Don't don't fall into that habit them other guys got. Yeah, I know. Put it down. Put it down. That log is not for reading. It's for scribbling on all right, now, stay tuned. <clears throat> now, you reset that because it's very important. Um, for uh, those of you who wonder what's going on, this is... Uh, I'm a little nervous, frankly. <laughs> I'm a little nervous. Uh, tomorrow night at this time, and I mean exactly at this time, I will be in the air 21 minutes on my way to Lima, Peru. And from thence into the wilds of the Peruvian jungle on the Ecuadorian border, deep in the heart of the Amazon River Basin. And so I'm a little not nervous about that place, because, you know, I, I, I suspect that, uh, that like all other fabled... This is one of the fabled parts of the world, you know. By fabled, I'm talking about a part of the world where there are probably more myths about, more, more rumors all over the world about this part of the world than most other uh, spots on the globe. It's interesting, you know, to, to see that there are about six or seven places in the world that have a mythological quality. And, and I mean truly in a mythological sense. And, and most of the ideas that people have about those places are truly myths. Uh, for example, practically every other day, somebody sets out from some place for the Peruvian jungle for a famous lost golden city. You probably heard that? That's always supposed to be hidden down there, you know. Or they go out there looking for the lost emerald mines. Or they're heading, like my father always planned to go to the equatorial Africa to hunt for the lost uh, the lost elephant graveyard where all the elephants go. And uh, this, this, is a, this for me, is an exciting thing. Not, not so much because uh, to travel is a, is a novelty, but I will say this. Uh, I think travel, and I mean really big-time travel, I don't mean getting in a car and going to Trenton, uh, <laughs> big-time travel never becomes routine. It is something that is never, ever, ever something that you can take You can take or leave it alone. You know, it's just it's always there, and there is always this vague sense that invariably shows up about 24 hours before you're about to leave, this peculiar sense of... Kind of vaguely feeling sorry for yourself, you know. On the one hand, you're, you know, everyone says, oh, wow, gee whiz, wow, chef, wow, are you lucky? Holy smokes, I've always wanted to go to the Antarctic. Holy smokes, wow. 
Well, gee whiz, Chef, how, how do you get away so often? I mean, who do you know around this place? You're the first guy I know who actually visited hell. How do you get out there, you know? Gee whiz, wow. And at the same time, I'm saying, oh, well, you know, it's... <laughs> Let's see, uh... That's the price you pay for being, um, intrepid, you know. <laughs> but, uh, deep down inside of me, there's a little violin playing that says, uh, yeah, why, why, why am I a flying Dutchman forever sailing over the seas, the seven seas of this benighted globe, always looking, always searching, always hunting, and never finding but, nevertheless, Bob, I'll go. There he goes. He hit the ground twice and he's running. Da, 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 Ask yourself this question. Will Shep find adventure in the Peruvian jungle? Will the Peruvian jungles find adventures in Shep? Yes. Ask yourself this question. Will he come back? <laughs> Ask yourself this question. Does he want to come back? <laughs> Understand this. Right pickings out there, if you know the right people. Yes, I understand that there's a lot of opportunities for a sharp, light young man who has a pretty good uh, furniture account and a couple of good franchises for a refrigerator line or two. Yes, there's a lot of gold bricks to be bought in this world, and there's a lot of gold bricks to be sold in this world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... 24 hours from now, I'll be heading off into that. Now, I, I was uh, curious to see the mixed bag of opinion that uh, oh, one guy wrote to me and says, well, the reason that I asked people about going, whether I should go or not, was because I showed a, lo a notable lack of enthusiasm for going. <laughs> and one guy wrote and says, the reason you're going is because you you gotta you want to go and get more material for your show, and you can tell more stories about when you're a kid and forget all that stuff. Uh, all these people, of course, totally missing the point. I don't think I don't. I I really uh, let's 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 uh, formulate the vast generalities here, shall we? Would you please give me vast generalities music there? You got something there good for vast generalities, Skip? Hello, testing. Uh, hello, testing. Vast generalities. Uh, that's the yeah. I'm sure you've got one. <clears throat> Uh, now, uh, I, I'm going to formulate a vast generality, and that is this. They're really, if you were to take any given individual, you know, it's like an onion. You just peel through, and you got all different kinds of layers, and each one of these layers often contradicts the layer before it, uh, that the peace-loving man on the next layer is a is a wild, uh, aggressive savage, and then you peel that layer, layer off, and he's a peace-loving man again, and on one layer he's a, a lover of beauty, on the next Layer, he's a destroyer of beauty, and etc., etc., etc. I feel this, however, that they're really in 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 the travel world. There are two kinds of people. There are the kinds of people who say, you know, I don't know why I got to travel all around here. Let me tell you this, son. I haven't even been to Crown Point, and I don't see no reason to go to Crown Point because if there isn't everything I want right here in Hessville, Indiana, I just say to hell with it. As far as I'm concerned, I find everything I want right here in Goshen, Indiana, land of Goshen. I said there's just nothing that anything else is out out there. That's just all silly, all food. And what are you trying to prove out there? Well, there's that kind of guy. And then there is the kind of guy 
I don't know whether it's good or bad. <laughs> there is that other kind of guy that always has a little thing down inside of himself, a little spark, a little blue flame, a kind of little acetylene torch that says, Go! 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 Yes! Go! 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 Ain't easy to handy. Yeah, handle. Excuse me. Uh, nothing worse than a flat coke. Now, these guys, you got a good beer commercial in there. Uh, sir, you just hold it in there for a minute, there, Skipper. That beer commercial. And now, ask you one one uh, favor. I don't ask your listener types many favors, but tomorrow night I will be taking off at the uh, Kennedy Airport, and. Uh, I would like to have at least three people out there. <laughs> no, just, you know, nice round number, three or four. Just three people out there who have signs that say, Shepard, if you do anything, bring your crummy head back. I'd like to have one big sign, somebody holding it up. <laughs> Either that or somebody says, Shepard, if you're going to have your head mounted, have it done well. Because there are a lot of bad taxidermists down there in South America. And uh, where are we taking off from? And, and the reason I'm telling you this is because we've gotten several calls and letters from people who might be interested in it. I am taking off from the, uh, let's see, the Pan American Flight 81 to Lima, Peru, tomorrow night, and it leaves uh, at 10 p.m. And uh, we will be at uh, this little hearty band, this little party of, of uh, well, this little party, uh, we'll be at the Pan American checkout thing at uh, about uh, 9 o'clock or thereabouts, out at John F. Kennedy Airport. Can you imagine this moment? The last second I chicken out, and they drag me in kicking and screaming, and <laughs> everybody's there. <laughs> now, now, seriously, I, 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 I think it would kind of make them think a little bit. If somebody showed up out there with a tom-tom, now... Uh, uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, by the way, speaking of myths, uh, I received a letter from one of the years of one of the museums locally, and uh, he happens to be an expert on South American matters, uh, both uh, floral and fauna-wise, and uh, he sent me a, a long note telling me about uh, various myths. He says, you know, one of the best things he ever found in the jungle was to walk around in street shoes. <laughs> yeah, he says, he's, you know, street shoes in the jungle... And he says when he was walking across streams, he wore tennis shoes. I presume low cut. Uh, <laughs> now, now this is this is what he said. He says that, he says don't worry, Shepard, about the electric eels and the piranhas. He says don't worry about the crocodiles down. He says they've got them down. Don't worry about them. He says what you should worry about are the amoeba. He says there there's an amoeba that you you order this salad in this this uh, restaurant in this town in Peru. And he says, you're going to be in that town. And by the way, that's the town where we go to after Lima. He says, you order the, the avocado salad there. And he says, and you're going to get a dose of this amoeba. And he says, and if you think Epsom salts, well, let me tell you. He says, I, he says, so don't worry about the piranha, Dad. Worry about the amoeba. Now, on the other hand, uh, I, have a, I have a book uh, I, I've been reading up on this area down there. Apparently, it's very controversial. Nobody seems to agree on what it is. Uh, on the one hand, uh, if I were to believe this curator at the 
at the museum, the American Museum of Natural History, it's kind of like going to Bergen, New Jersey, uh, except there's a little more fur on the ground, a little fuzzy there. And that's about all, he says. Now, on the other hand, I, I have just received a book, a very new book, on the flora and fauna of this part of the world. And among other things, they outline a very interesting group of toads that live in that area. There are four toads. They are all poisonous. And these toads, these the, the only poisonous... Well, they're not toads, really. They're frogs. Speaking of poisonous toads, this is WOR AM at FM New York. Hit the button there, Charlie. Hit. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking to the 2,500-year-old brewmaster about some of the great people in history. Now, as you know, sir, Ballantine beer has more spirit to it. And it seems to me you must have known many spirited people who have really enjoyed Ballantine. I knew little Billy Shakespeare. He was so spirited that you had to hold him down to write. He would fly around the room. You had to throw paper up in the air to keep him busy. That's a, but he wasn't a good writer, you know. He wasn't? No, he had terrible penmanship. Nobody knows this. The, I read the first folios. They're all full of ink blots. The ideas were good, yes, but the penmanship was terrible. But he really was a spirited little guy, Billy Shakespeare. And had he lived instead of died, he would have appreciated a beer with such joy and spirit like Valentine. Ha-ha. If you want to start living a life that's livelier, live it with spirit. Valentine beer. There's more spirit to it. Yes, Siri Bob. And there are many myths about the, <laughs> about the Peruvian jungle. Of course, I hope in the years to come there will be the great shepherd myth that will come out of the Peruvian jungle about this intrepid man who once went alone and single-handed in the Peruvian jungle and never reappeared. And the myth, of course, that came out later is that he became the emperor of the entire jungle in that area. And they, they, they said that he was the great white anaconda, which had come from the countries to the north to save them from the green ants. And he did this, and now he is down there and has a harem of 17,000 fantastic Amazonian bells. And all of you know what Amazons are like, I presume. What's the matter? I, I think that's a good myth to start. Uh, uh, speaking of myths, now I'm, I'm going to ask a question here. Maybe some of you know about this. Uh, when I was a kid, of course, there were thousands of shows on. Uh, I was not a great radio listener. This is uh, contrary to, to common myth. Uh, I did not listen to the radio a great deal when I was a kid. I was more of a second baseman, and uh, I spent more of my time out fist fighting and throwing rocks at the street stuff. And really, there were two kinds of kids. There was the kid that sat in in red. Then there was the other kid who threw rocks at the kid that sat in in red. Uh, and guess which one I was. But nevertheless, uh, as a kid, I remember one show that used to come on every night. I, and I don't suppose this ever came out here in the in the East. I don't know. It might have. But it came out, out of, oh, it was usually dark. And somehow I related in my mind, because I was, I was a very small child at this time, because I don't even remember the specific time that it came on. But I know it was dark. I related with being dark and supper time, kind of that, you know, that whole dark thing and the smell of meatloaf and, you know, the whole business, my father and the John yelling and all that stuff. And, and, and I somehow related to that type of time. Now, they came on, and it went like this. It went, ah! the sound of a jaguar, you see, echoing throughout the Amazonian jungle. And the announcer would say, and then 
as darkness falls on Lake Titicaca, the dreaded devil bats take to the wing. We take you to adventures in the Amazonian jungle. Do you remember that? You don't remember that, huh? Didn't I sound like a jaguar there? Well, a jaguar else. But, uh... <laughs> he was terrible. Now, I don't remember uh, the name of the show. I don't remember anything about it, except that they were always hanging around Lake Titicaca, which is not too close to where I'm going, but uh, I'm in the Amazon Basin. That's close enough. Not more than 8 million miles. But uh, that is the kind of, of uh, thing that I remember vividly. And then there was a book called Green Hell, which I read. Do any of you remember reading that? Did you ever hear of it? Well, it was a book which, uh, which, which was about that jungle, that fantastic, unexplored, great stretch. Now, I'm sure that the area that I'm going in is not quite that way, but it was, uh, it was about this jungle. Now, here we come to the myth, or maybe it wasn't a myth. I don't know. Uh, how, is there anybody who remembers or ever heard of? It seems I have a vague remembrance of a story that used to pop up regularly in the, uh, you know, the uh, the pulp uh, uh, yellow journalist uh, type magazine that comes out on Sunday. You know, the Hearst magazine they always have like, what vivisection is really doing to your poodle? You know, kind of thing. <laughs> you remember, you've seen those crummy little old stories. And they have a, 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 a certain set of stories that were always popping up. Like every couple of months, somebody would write a story about what really happened to Amelia Earhart? And then it would have maps, and it had to show a picture of her standing by her plane, and then it would show this little island, and uh, this writer would start out, a lone aircraft roared out over the Pacific, containing the intrepid American pioneer flyer Amelia Earhart. And several hours later, her plane disappeared into the darkness, never to be heard from again. What are the rumors? What are the myths about this? Well, you, you've seen those stories that constantly... This is called boilerplate. And uh, writers are always uh, pulp writers, guys who write for these mail magazines, you know, where, where you see the cover of the a magazine and it shows a, a Kodiak bear, you know, he's always roaring out of the cover at you. Ah! And underneath it, it says, I killed a Kodiak bear with my BB gun, single-handedly. Ah! Or else it shows a Marine. You've seen that kind of magazine? It shows a Marine of World War II years later. And his blood all over his helmet, mud, and his face is all muddy. And underneath it, it says, I killed 45 Japs at Iwo Jima single-handedly with my potato mash. It shows, you know, a story inside. Fantastic He-Man stories. Well, that they, they rewrite the same stories continually in these magazines. And among them, of course, is what happened to Amelia Earhart. That's being written about continually. The real inside story of what happened when the Hindenburg crashed. Uh, they always write that one. Now, there was a story that was continually being written about a flyer. Now, I don't know why I remember this. It was, it was a long time ago. It just I vaguely remember hearing about it. A flyer who flew out of the, over the Peruvian jungles. And somehow his, his name it seems to me to be read something. Now, I may be wrong because I have a very vague recollection of this. Read something. And he flew out over the Peruvian jungles and disappeared. And continually they were writing stories about this flyer. The myth of him, he had one, one story had it that he had landed in the jungle and now he had a vast jungle kingdom. He was uh, in charge of all these people out there. And he, 
uh, he had become uh, a king and all, all this jazz. And then there was another one that said that he had crashed and had discovered the secret golden city that had been there and had been laying there for centuries. And as he discovered this, the ancient ghosts of that city came and avenged him. Pow! Like that. They destroyed him. You know? He says, who knows? Who knows? They would always end up by saying, who knows what these ancient myths are about? Who knows the evil that the ancient gods can wreak upon modern man? And of course, my mother's sitting there uh, next to, you know, next to the icebox with, with her bowl of rice pudding in front of her and reading the Sunday paper would look at this and say, oh, oh, oh boy. I don't know why people go out there. I don't know. Now, do you, does, does anyone remember such a myth? They don't. Well, I'm not asking you because I wouldn't expect you to remember it. But I'm just curious about anybody remembering such a myth. Is it true? Speaking of myths, let's see. We have a thing. Oh, yes. Gimbal. Double. <laughs> bobble bimble. Yeah, ta -ta -ta There's a great new look in Gimbal's men's shop this season. Gimbal's takes extreme pleasure in welcoming the timely clothes. Fine line of men's suits. <coughs> Timely clothes have long been noted for their youthful, high-fashion look, especially tailored for the fit and feel that you like. Grabs your man. And in the Timely Clothes Fall Collection, which has just arrived at Gimbel's, high standards of tailoring certainly are apparent. Gimbel spotlights two important groups of suits. Plateau. Why do you call a group of suits plateau? And what the heck? You remember when they used to call them, like, executive or, you know, that name? <laughs> plateau with the unique weightless feel and select circle, offering truly fresh and lasting shapiness. That's Gimbel's Schmimble Double Bimbles, Tipkins on the Green. That's at Gimbel's there, and that's at the men's shop. Girls, you get right down there. I understand that they're having more business in the men's shop these days from women than among men. Did you see all the pieces in the paper? I went down to the Army-Navy store the other night to buy myself a pair of pants for this, this uh, fiasco that I'm going on. And uh, I'm in there, and, and I'm surrounded. Of course, the Army-Navy store is a place, you know, I used to... Uh, this is a real male province. It always was. Anyway, you'd go there, and you'd look at compasses, and you'd go, and you'd look at, uh, oh, stuff like uh, surplus canteens. Uh, you, you've been in these things. Oh, they're great, you know. And, and the place was loaded with chicks, 18,000 chicks in there, and they were trying to buy the most you-know-whatsy clothes they could lay their hands on. <laughs> well, not even... They, they really were. They were in there hollering, shoving, spitting. And the one guy says, he says, boy, he says, you should have seen the pair that came in here before chewing tobacco. Holy smokes. He says, I haven't had a man come in here chewing tobacco for 20 years. These two chicks came in and just like that, under the counter it went. Boy, yeah, gimbal, schmimbles, double pimbles. Now, I, I uh, uh, you know, these, these myths. Did somebody say he remembers that guy? Well, very good. Then, then, uh, then maybe I'll go on and look for him. I'll write a story for True Magazine. Uh, Jay Shepard goes off on a, on a solitary mission to locate Red Watkins, famous flyer who crashed in the Peruvian jungles. What was the true myth of his uh, Curtis Robin as he... No, that's not the guy. Somebody just says Jimmy Angel. I never heard of him. That's another myth. <laughs> that's another one. You got your own. But uh, these, these things, uh, there are certain parts of the country that engender that kind of thing, uh, that engender this uh, sort of half-real, half-fantasy, half-dream uh, uh, contemplation. And in, in most cases, it's, it's generally just speculation. People are always speculating about places like that. You know, I find, I find a, a great number of people 
who don't and have no interest in going to a place that is not civilized, uh, that is, uh, civilized as we know it. Not only do they not have an interest in going to places like this, uh, they will often tell you that uh, you're silly for going because there's nothing to be seen there. I received a letter from a woman who was very angry letter. Not angry, kind of a put-down letter, you know, that kind of, Dear Mr. Shepherd, I would think that you would have more taste than to go to a ridiculous country like Australia when my husband and I yearly refresh our cultural heritage by our yearly visits to Paris, the Queen City, the City of Light. Why don't you get on the stick and go to places where real things are? Well, now that's a fascinating attitude, and she really did write that. I almost quoted her verbatim here. Uh, uh, of course, most people define what they do as the civilized thing to do, <laughs> and as the right thing to do. I find that uh, a visit now, uh, this this may be through because of, maybe I've, I've traveled too much, but I found visiting Australia, Skip, in case you're interested, I found visiting Australia and going around the Australian countryside and looking at the Australian people more interesting than the last three visits I have had to France. Now, uh, why this is, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's because uh, of the newness. Maybe it's because there's a certain rawness. Maybe it's also because you have a sense in going to Australia that things are happening. When you go to places like Paris, you have a sense that things have happened. And that's a very different feeling. Uh, I, I, I personally find uh, myself drawn to the uncivilized parts of the world. Uh, drawn to them? I don't know why. Maybe Conrad. Conrad, uh, for those of you who've ever read much of Conrad, you realize that Conrad didn't write many stories about Budapest. Uh, he didn't write much about Warsaw, even though he himself was a Pole. Uh, he wrote about the areas of the world that very few people have much experience with. And perhaps that's one of the reasons why he's not as popular as a writer uh, as he should be. Uh, not many people really read Conrad as opposed, say, to the number who read European writers of the same ilk, uh, of, uh, in the same caliber. Uh, maybe it's because, uh, again, uh, that repugnance. People have a vague sense of fear about this thing, this green canopy, uh, this jungle. Now, uh, <laughs> I, 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 uh, my own personal feeling, of course, I, you'll have to excuse me tonight if I'm, if I'm doing a show more or less on a very personal level about things that I think about on the eve of this trip. Uh, I intend, uh, for what it's worth, I intend to go to this part of the world, not as a stunt. I'm not uh, particularly interested in stunts. I, I want to go primarily because I want to go. You know, I have a chance to go, and I want to go. I have a chance to sing. I have a chance to experience something. And, and uh, as one of my friends said, he says, you know, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But this is just not the kind of thing you do Ordinarily, you, you just don't get a chance to get in a plane and go to uh, the Peruvian jungles. It's as simple as that. Well, I've got a chance, and I'm going to go. And uh, I, I, when I come back, I'm going to try to give you as many, uh, m uh, well, I suppose you can say objective, but then again, uh, how is a man who is a 20th century man and an urban one at that, and a fairly civilized one on top of that, uh, how is an urban man <laughs> going to be objective about uh, comments or statements or feelings that he has when in the heart of, uh, of a country and a world that is at great odds and at great variance with the world that we live in? One of the things I'm going to be interested to know, 
uh, I'm going to ask them about particularly. I'll try to, through the interpreter, I'm going to ask these various natives, uh, and, and as subtly as possible, what their concept is of the outside world. Now, I'm not talking about somebody who's a chief who might have been out and have been around. I'm just talking about a native, somebody sitting down there uh, next to his hut, uh, going about his business. I'm going to try to find out just what he thinks, what, what, how does he picture New York? Uh, would he like to be in New York? Would he like to go to New York? Oh, somebody called, uh, the airlines called, the plane leaves from the national terminal. Uh, what do you mean national? You mean the national airlines terminal? I guess so. Lee is darted out again, so I don't know where she is. But apparently, she says, this leaves from the, does this mean the national airlines terminal? I don't know what this note means even. Is that National Airlines? All right. All right. Very good. You should write down National Airlines. Uh, that the plane leaves from the National Airlines terminal. And it's a Pan Am plane, Flight 81 for Peru. Uh, now, I, I, uh, when I come back, I'm going to have, uh, if I can, I'm, I'm trying to scrape up a good tape recorder. I'm trying to get a, go a hold of a good tape recorder, either the loan of a good tape recorder, or, uh, you know, somehow get a good tape recorder, because the tape recorder I have is rotten. I, <laughs> I have a lousy tape recorder, and I did have a good tape recorder, but it has disappeared. And I'm, I'm trying to get a tape recorder, and if I get a hold of one by uh, the time we take off on the plane tomorrow night, I'm going to come back with as many tapes as I can of the sounds of the jungle and the sounds of the people talking and my impressions of the river and the sky and the world down there. You know, we don't know much about South America. Uh, I was surprised to find out how how sparse is the literature on South America. There's a lot of books, sure, but compared to the literature that's available on the cultures of other continents and the literature on almost every other phase of every other continent around, the literature on South America is very small. And the number of people who have really been to South America, I'm not talking about just going to Rio, or maybe going to Argentina or someplace like that briefly on a business visit. But the number of people who have ever actually been to the interior uh, who have looked at this fantastic continent is a comparatively small number. And you know, when you, it's, it's, it's a strange thing, too, because when you get out of, of our hemisphere, when you go to, say, Australia, or you go to, say, a place like uh, oh, uh, Asia, I, I had this this question uh, given to me several times in places like uh, Bangkok. They seem to think that people in North America mute back and forth between South America and North America. The names are so similar to them. And so they just think, you know, like North Philadelphia and South Philadelphia. They really do. Uh, their knowledge of our geography in this hemisphere is as uh, shaky and as inadequate as our knowledge is of their uh, geography. I wonder how many people uh, know really where this this war that's going on right now over in the great subcontinent of India really know where it is. Uh, really could could put their finger on it if you were give it, give them a globe, you know, and you took the you took the names off and said, all right, I'll point to where it is. You know, <laughs> I, I'll bet you you wouldn't find many. I'll bet not many people could even point to Vietnam on a globe. Uh, know really where it is. I, I wonder how many people know just how far Australia is say, from uh, Singapore, uh, how far it is to go from uh, by plane or, yeah, just plane, jet, 
how far it is to go from, say, Darwin in Australia to a place like Karachi, where there's a lot of action tonight. I just wonder how many people know these things. Well, they don't know about our world. And so many people had asked me, this, this came up several times, certainly in Sydney. I was asked by people about South America. They said, well, you know, uh, gee, uh, one thing I'd like to do, if I visit America, one place I'd like to go to, I, I, I really would like to visit Rio. Yeah, they'll really say that. I've had that. I had that said at least twice to me. And I'll say to them, well, don't you realize that, that the distance between Rio and New York, I mean, wowee. <laughs> and they, 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 they don't quite know this because the names are so similar. You know that in Australia, I found that very, not many people that I met in Australia, this was surprising to me, had been to New Zealand. Now, you just assumed that New Zealand and Australia, at least I always assumed this, were kind of together, and people in Australia went. But didn't you think of that, Skipper? Didn't you think about it at all? But no, uh, this was very remote to them. And yet, you know what really surprised me? Was to find that many people, when they take their vacation in, uh, in, uh, in Australia, say if you're, if you're living in Sydney and you want to really go on a... Like, say, for example, if you're living in New York and you want to go on a kind of an exotic vacation... You may go to Nassau for a couple of weeks. I mean, and not now, <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, <laughs> what a place I picked, you know. <laughs> well, you know what they do in Sydney? When a guy's going to go for a two-week vacation, he's got a real big deal, you know, and he wants to take a chick and really have a big thing, he goes to New Guinea. But you never think in terms of New Guinea as a, as a place for people going on vacation, and yet they have big travel posters there, and it shows all the blue sky and a flying boat, and it says, take the two-week, all-expense-paid, deluxe, uh, swinging-in-the-sun tourist trip to Papeti or whatever it is there in New Guinea. And, and uh, this is a big deal there. So I was surprised, and, and uh, I thought I was uh, you know, fairly knowledgeable about geography, but I didn't uh, I realize when I got out there I didn't know anything. I didn't know you-know-what from you-know-what when I got out there. And, and yet uh, the number of people who have ever been to South America among, among my friends is infinitesimal. And those who have been to South America have generally been to the major cities right on the seacoast. That's it. Uh, Rio, uh, places like uh, a few of the cities in Chile, Argentina, and so on. But uh, inside, no. Well, actually, to be honest with you, uh, in my traveling, I found that Europeans, the most traveled Europeans, rarely saw anything of continental America the ones who had traveled and been in America many times. I met one businessman who uh, had been to America maybe a dozen times. He said he made, it, made the trip every year. He's been making it for years. And uh, he, he prided himself on knowing all about America. Do you know that that guy had never been west of the Hudson River? Not one time. Not even to take the, the you know, not even to go on the GW Bridge across over to Jersey just to say he got over there, you know? And, and as far as he was concerned, coming to New York, and I might also add, he never went to Queens either. <laughs> he never saw the Bronx. Uh, coming to New York and to the United States meant uh, being within about a nine-block uh, radius, a nine-block area, really, of his Midtown Hotel. That was New York. And that was also the United States. It was also North America, as far as he was concerned. And by the way, he was considered a big expert. Uh, back in in uh, France, uh, <laughs> that's where I happened to run into him, and he he was considered a big expert there on America. And uh, oh, he'd sit there and he'd comment about movies. Uh, that was his bit. Uh, whenever an American movie would play there, 
uh, he was the local expert. They'd ask him, Mr. Jacques, was it really that way? Yeah, well, well I see. They say, of course, exaggerating. And <laughs> here the movie is about some guy living in Kansas. <laughs> and he'd, uh, he had no knowledge at all of it, any more than most of us would have any knowledge of somebody living a day-by-day life in the, oh, let's say in the central part of Belgium or the day-by-day life in a, in a town in Holland. Most of us know nothing about this, the kind of life that people live. Uh, and, and certainly here this is this wild, uh, almost uh, untamed continent is right here on our... You know, many people feel that, that uh, this continent could very well be uh, in the next uh, thousand years, not within the foreseeable next couple of centuries, but in the next thousand years could really be one of the big totally uh, important continents for a number of reasons. And uh, according to the, the, the literature that I read on it, uh, the last I'm reading up and boning up as much as I can on it, that the, uh, that the feeling is, of course, one, there's minerals, uh, two, there's all kinds of other things. But I, to begin with, uh, a climate, you know, I suppose most people have an idea that, that uh, South America is a fantastically hot place, most of it. Well, uh, I found, uh, oddly enough, that the hottest place in South America, the hottest temperature recorded there, was 98.7 degrees, which surprised me because that was a medium summer day in Hammond, Indiana, <laughs> when, the, when the sun was really warming up and going to work in the middle of August, just about this time of the year. Uh, I was quite surprised. I will say this, though. Uh, it is probably the wet, wettest continent anywhere. Uh, this side of uh, Antarctica, which is covered with 18 million miles of snow, it, this is really a wet continent. In fact, uh, the, the, the area where I will be visiting has an annual rainfall of 20 feet. I repeat, an annual rainfall of 20 feet. Uh, that's almost a half a foot a week, <laughs> every last week. And so I guess if there's anything you take when you go there, you take a bailing can. Uh, <laughs> you take a bailing can. You take a you take a plastic raincoat. Uh, they tell me it's kind of nice if you take along a snake bite kit. Uh, that might be nice, except that I don't think I'll do that. I, you know, I figure that you know I'm a peaceful man. I'll talk it over with the snakes. We'll get along fine. There won't be any problem there. Uh, I'm also probably going to take 18 million uh, uh, pops, possibly tums. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe some other things we may need. Yeah, well, you see, you live on roast monkey there. And they tell me some of them get kind of tough, especially around the knee joints. Uh, what's this? Oh, yeah, well, I, 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 oh, boots? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take my folding canoe, I'll tell you that. And I may, well, I'll see you tomorrow night, gang. And, oh, by the way, I'm not leaving, you know. I'll be on the air all the while I'm gone, and I've recorded a whole lot of new shows for you, a lot of little whoopee things. And uh, all the while, while I'm yapping away here at 10.15, you uh, you can see me somewhere in your mind's eye skulking through the impenetrable green hell out there with my faithful tape recorder. And uh, what, what, what really makes me sad, though, do you know that not more than 40 or 50 feet from where these natives are, they've already started work on a Howard Johnson? Yeah, well, you know, what the heck? I mean, they, they like clams, too. <laughs> 